Uh, let's turn to the book of Matthew. Appreciate everybody being here and those who have led us in worship today, the good work that each has done and uh, good service that we had this morning and hopefully again this evening. When I was a little boy, uh, there was a neighbor uh, that lived next door to me. We were just little boys, uh, uh, preschool in fact, you know, four or five years old, something like that. And uh, we'd get out and we'd play ball together and we'd play catch and stuff like that. And my dad would ask us, you know, who do you want to be? I want to be Mickey Mantle. And he'd ask my friend, who do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Willie Mays. It doesn't take very long after a person is born that he begins to think about what he wants to do with his life. And sometimes we have real lofty goals like that. I want to be a ball player. I want to be a, an athlete. I want to be a musician. I want to be a singer. I want to be an entertainer. And so sometimes we have those lofty goals and, and sometimes our goals are a little bit more modest. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse or something like that. And over time, of course, we either set about to accomplish those goals or maybe we begin to see, well, now I thought last week was a comment on my sermon. <laughs> All right. Let me get my phone so I get a little bit of light up here. All right, let's see what I can do. I'm not sure how to let's see if this will work. No, that doesn't really work too well. That's a little bit better. All right, let me. Uh, Get my flashlight going here. All right, there we go. Okay, that's better. Can you see me? Oh, there we go. Good, good. <laughs> all right, all right. Very good. I kind of wonder what people who might be just listening online are thinking about this. The lights went out. If, if that's your situation, the lights went out here and they've come back on. And I'm very glad they did. All right, well, it doesn't take very long for us to have these ideas of what we want to achieve or what we want to be in life. And either we kind of set out to accomplish those things or we make adjustments. We, we realize, oh, well, that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time, and I'm just not up to it, or I just don't think I can do it. It's beyond my grasp or life circumstances won't allow me to achieve all of that. But, but others are are set on achieving that, and, and they, they do whatever is necessary to achieve that goal. And so, if they want to be an athlete, a professional athlete, or an athlete at a very high level, well then they devote themselves to doing that. They put in the time to, to practice and develop their skills. They might forsake or, or go without doing other things, or friends are doing, going to parties, or going here or there. They, they forego that and, and they concentrate on training and developing. And so they, they're willing to put in the time and uh, the effort to achieve what they want to achieve. And, you know, the price they pay is association with their friends and things like that. Well, in the passage that we're going to look at tonight in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks a little bit about our goals and achieving our goals and acquiring the things that we hope to acquire and gives us some perspective on that and need to take that seriously. So we're going to look at that tonight. Matthew chapter 16. 
We're going to try to establish the setting a little bit uh, as, uh, as we go. Is that working? I don't think that's working. No, I think that's out. Okay. So let's, let's establish the context, and then we'll work our way down to the passage we want to look at. And so Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, now that's, that's out of Palestine. That's to the north away from Jerusalem, away from Galilee where Jesus was spending his time, away from the crowds and the controversy and all the activity. And so he takes his apostles away from that, from that place. He wants to ask them a question. He wants to have their undivided attention. And so he asks them, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Who do men say that I am? You know that the phrase Son of Man is the way Jesus refers to himself uh, in, the, in the Gospels. And so he's asking them, who do, who do people say I am? You've been around other people. You hear what they're saying. And, and so who do they, what are they saying about me? And they respond, well, some say you're uh, Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, one of, one of the other prophets. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, no doubt speaking for the rest of them. And he says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for all these years. You're the one we've been looking for and anticipating. You're the one that the Old Testament has foretold about. And so we believe that you're the King. You're the King of Israel. We've been waiting for you and our confidence is in you. In a sense, Peter is saying, now we want to be with you. You're the king. We want to be with you. We want to follow you because we believe that you are the Messiah. In John chapter 6 and verse 68, uh, some of the disciples decide to leave Jesus and, and he turns to his disciples and says, well, would you go away too? And, and Peter says, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We want to be your disciples. <laughs> We believe you're going to bring in the kingdom, and we want to be aligned with you. That's, that's the implication of the statement. Well, from that point on, Jesus begins to teach them about being the Messiah. Now, he says that you're correct. I am the Messiah. He says in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 16, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you're, you're right. I am the Messiah, but let me tell you about my mission. And so he begins to explain his work as the Messiah. That's not at all what they anticipate. They think the Messiah is going to come and, and kind of lead a revolt and, and kind of throw off the shackles of Roman uh, occupation and gain independence and restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. But Jesus' mission is something else entirely. And he begins to explain that, beginning in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And so he says, let me tell you what the Messiah is all about. I think you've got the wrong idea about it. Now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer there. Now you think I'm going to reign. You, know? you think I'm going to overthrow the Roman occupation. Now, I'm going there and I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem. And I'll be raised up on the third day, which 
that just went right over the head, especially that bit about being raised the third day. No, they just didn't understand that. But it's interesting, Peter takes him aside. No, this is not going to happen. You're the, you're the Messiah. You know? you're, you're the king. This isn't going to happen. In fact, it says in verse 22 that Peter began to rebuke him. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Imagine Peter rebuking Christ. In later years, Peter must have thought many times, what in the world was I thinking, you know? I would rebuke Christ. But he, on this occasion he does. He begins to rebuke him. God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And so Jesus corrects Peter in verse 23, kind of points out three elements here. There are three elements in his statement we're going to point out. You're a stumbling block to me. You're a hindrance to me. I've come to accomplish my mission, and you're getting in the way of that. You're a stumbling block. You're a hindrance to me. And, and so you need, to, you need to get out of the way. In fact, he calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You know, you're, you're hindering my mission, which is exactly what Satan would have you to do. You're doing the work of Satan by trying to talk me out of this. And so you need to just get out of the way, get behind me. You're not thinking the right way. You're not, you're not minding God's interests, but man's. The cross was God's plan. Peter was thinking in human terms. He could either, Jesus says, support me and support my mission or get out of the way. One or the other. Get behind me. Either get on board or get out of the way. One or the other. Again, why would Peter oppose Jesus in this way? Well, he doesn't understand Christ's mission. He doesn't understand the nature of the kingdom. And he doesn't understand what would be required of Jesus' disciples. He's thinking in human terms. He's not thinking in spiritual terms. Doesn't understand Christ's mission. Doesn't understand the mission, uh, the nature of the kingdom. And he doesn't understand what's going to be required of Jesus' disciples. If they are to be his disciples, Jesus goes on to say, you're going to have to think differently than the way you're thinking now. And so, you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You need, you need to think differently than this. And then he says this in verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay, you think I'm the Messiah? Now, now you're right about that. I am the Messiah, but you're mistaken about what kind of Messiah I'm going to be. And you want to be my disciple? You want to be aligned with me? That's great. Let me tell you what you're in for. And let me tell you what, what you're obligated to do and to be. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What shall it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So let's talk especially about, about this section of the passage. First of all, Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by saving your life and losing your life? 
Well, take that very literally. The disciples may be called upon to die for the cause of Christ. They may literally be called upon to lose their lives, Jesus says, for my sake. Now look at John chapter 15. And there are several, of course, indications that this may be the case. John 15, verse 18. Now, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. If they're going to kill me, they're going to kill you. If they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. In fact, you might remember in Matthew chapter 20 when the sons of Zebedee come to Jesus and they ask to sit one on the right hand and one on the left. Their mother is with them on that occasion. Jesus asked them in verse 22, He says, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to endure the suffering that I'm about to endure if, if you go through the same kind of suffering? Are you, are you able to die for me the way I'm going to die? Are you able to drink that cup? And they say, we are able. And Jesus says, my cup you shall drink. But it's sit on my right hand and on my left. It's not mine to give. It's for those to whom it's been prepared by my Father. You're going to drink the cup. You, you say you're able. Now, I mean, I'll assure you. You're going to experience what I, I experience. And so, the disciples, the apostles on this occasion, may very well be called upon to give their lives for Him. And so, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, whoever dies for my sake, for my cause, in my interest. Well, it goes on to say, we'll find it. So, what does it mean to save one's life? Well, if to lose one's life means to be willing to die for the cause, to save one's life means to do what is never as necessary to preserve his life in the face of trial. And so whoever preserves his life in the face of trial, because he's my disciple, if a person is intent on preserving his life and doing whatever is necessary to accomplish that, well, then he will lose it. Now, now Peter's a good example of that, isn't he? In Luke chapter 22, in all the gospel accounts, but Luke chapter 22, Peter finds himself, as Jesus is on trial, finds himself out in the courtyard, and he's being asked, oh, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Oh, yeah, you're one. And, and, and Peter's trying to save his life, isn't he? <laughs> trying to preserve his life. Oh, no, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't know him. And cursed and swore. And so he's trying to preserve his life. And so the one who is so faithful to me that he will give up his life, literally lose his life, will find it. And whoever will do whatever is necessary, even to the point of denying me to preserve his life, he's going to lose it. And then there's another element involved in this as well. The word life is really used in two senses, isn't it? There's physical life and spiritual life. And so he's telling them, if you are loyal to me to the point of death, now, you may lose your life, but you're going to gain eternal life. And so he's using the word life there in two different ways. Whoever is loyal to me and faithful to me to the point of death, if you're faithful, faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10, if you're willing to go that far as a disciple, 
you'll have eternal life. You lose your physical life, but you'll have eternal life. On the other hand, those who will do whatever they need to do to preserve their physical life, oh, you might have that physical life for a while, but, but you're going to lose eternal life in the process. And so they, they've got a choice to make, don't they? You know, what, what are you going to do as, as a disciple of mine? Where, where's your priority? Is it on loyalty to me, or is it on loyalty to self? Well, I think there's another broader application here as well. Now, there are people who live for self. We may know some of them. People that live for self, as opposed to denying self. So Jesus says, whoever comes after me must deny himself. So we know people, they're, they're not interested in denying self. They live for self. And so their life is spent on achieving what they want to achieve. They have no interest in the gospel or pleasing God or being a disciple of Jesus. Now, they may hear the gospel, but they reject it and pursue whatever makes them happy. They eat, drink, and make merry, to use the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. They're like, uh, if you turn look at, I, I was reminded of the 73rd Psalm. And in that passage, the psalmist thinks about those who are prospering, those evil men who are prospering. Beginning in verse 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're, they're, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. They, therefore, pride is their necklace. The, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Now, there are people, that's what they live for. They live to fulfill their desires. They live for self. They're not interested in denying self or denying themselves anything that they might want. They live focused on this world, and some of them succeed. Now, not everybody who wants to live that way succeeds, but, but some people do. They said, I, I want to live in this neighborhood. Well, eventually they put enough work in and time in to afford to live in that neighborhood and drive that kind of car and take that kind of vacation and and, and they, they succeed in it. Now, they don't have any interest in spiritual things, they have interest in the gospel, what they're interested in, and what makes them happy in acquiring that, in achieving that, and they do. But they've given up eternal life in the process. Can you think of a Bible character like that? I can think of at least one. There may, may be more, but Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he had great possessions. You know, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus explains it to him. And we remember the end of the story. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He, he was more attached to his possessions and the kind of life that he was living than he was giving that up for Christ. Now, now he saved his life, you know, in a sense. He preserved that lifestyle for himself. But he gave up eternal life in the process. You see, whoever would save his life will lose it. That is, lose eternal life. On the other hand, there are those who have the ability and opportunity to excel in life. They have the ability. You know, they have the intellect. They have the talent. They have the skill. They, they, can, they can achieve. They, they could... Now they could reach that whatever position it is they wanted to reach. They have the opportunity as well. It's right here. I could take it. 
I've been offered the position, but then they realize, well, if I do that, I'm going to have to put loyalty to Christ second. And so I can be what I want, I can do what I want, I can have what I want. I've got the ability, I've got the opportunity, but I'd have to put loyalty to Christ second. And so they're not willing to do that. They live on a lower level. They're content with a lesser lifestyle, so to speak, and all of those kinds of things. In a sense, they, they've given up their life, but they're going to gain eternal life. You remember Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Remember the interaction? We just alluded to it. The rich man, rich, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He had great possessions. Remember what Peter says down in verse 27? Jesus explains, now it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that's difficult. And so he's commenting about the, the interaction with the, with the rich young ruler. It's just difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter says, behold, we, we've left everything and followed you. What then will it be for us? And Jesus says to them, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake. In other words, the one who's given up his life, who forfeited his lifestyle, we might, we might say, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And so whoever wishes to say, that's what's going to be required of you. You think I'm the Messiah? That's great. That's wonderful. Don't tell anybody. You might notice that in our reading. They didn't really understand what being the Messiah was all about. And so you, there's some things you need to learn before you go tell everybody about this. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. Now you don't understand that yet, but I'm going to try to teach that to you. And here's what it means to be a disciple of mine. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. If you're intent on saving your life, you're going to lose eternal life. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, that's an important element as well, for my sake, well then you'll find it. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 16 in the next, the next few verses, or the next verse, verse 26. He asks two questions. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it profit a man if he, gains the whole, if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul in the process? The scriptures teach that we have a, a soul, that there's a spiritual part of us that will live throughout eternity after we die. There, there's, there's a spiritual part of us that continues to live might remember in the book of Ecclesiastes that when the body dies, it goes back to the dust, but the spirit goes to God who gave it. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. The, spirit go, the body goes back to the dust, but the spirit, there's a spirit that man has that, that will continue to live on after the body decays. It goes back to God who gave it. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus talks to the thief on the cross. Remember, a thief on the cross 
says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, his body's not going to be in paradise. His body's on the cross. It's going to decay. It's, it's his spirit. It's his soul. It's going to be with God, with Christ in paradise. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killed. He's stoned to death. And he cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so my body is dying, but my spirit is going to be he, at least he asked Jesus to receive his spirit. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, we studied Revelation not long ago. Remember Revelation 6 verses 9 and 10? The Lamb broke the fifth seal. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, O holy and true? And so here are the souls of those who had been killed living on in this vision under, under the altar. Look at a couple of other passages as well. Look at the book of James, James chapter 1. James encourages us to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's verse 21. The word is able to save your soul. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. And so there's a part of it. We have, we have a physical body, but we have a spiritual part as well. And this spiritual part continues to live after the body dies. Our souls are feeling and self-aware. We, we, we're the same person after we die and after our spirits depart. The, the, the spirit is the same person has intellect, is aware of itself, even has feelings. Learn all this, for example, from Luke chapter 16 in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? Uh, there was a rich man. He led a very good lifestyle, lived sumptuously every day. There was a poor man who was laid at his gate every day, full of sores, a, a, a beggar. Uh, the dogs came and licked his sores. And they both died. And the, Lazarus was taken by the angels to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And so after death, we're still aware. We're aware that we are who we are. And uh, he goes on to say, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my teeth. I'm in agony in this flame. I'm in agony. <laughs> and so he's aware of himself. He knows who he is. And he feels the agony of that place. The souls of men and women either live in a place of reward or punishment. And so Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 says, Don't fear the one who is able to kill the body, but is not able to kill the soul. But fear the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a place of punishment. Uh, and it's called hell in the Bible. It's a place of tribulation and distress, of eternal fire, eternal punishment, outer darkness, and I suppose worst of all, away from the presence of the Lord. Look at Romans chapter 2. Here's a little description, very short, but several descriptive terms. This place of punishment. 
Romans chapter 2, and uh, we'll begin in verse, verse 8. To those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so it's a place of wrath and indignation and tribulation and distress. Look at Mark chapter 9. Look at this passage. Mark chapter 9, uh, vivid description of, of hell. Well, look at verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter in the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Kind of a, a gross uh, picture there. Uh, thinking of the garbage dump where the, the worms feed on the putrefying garbage. You know. well, the hell is a place where the worm doesn't die. It just continually, continually feeds and feeds and feeds. Not speaking literally there, I don't suppose, but figuratively, just a place of just, just agony, torment, and uh, where the fire is not quenched. On the other hand, the place of reward is wonderful. It's described as eternal life, the eternal kingdom, salvation, joy. A place where there's no more tears, no sorrow, no death, none of those things. It's a place of glory in the presence of God. Maybe the most complete picture and vivid description of this place is there at the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 especially verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. What a contrast that is to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Away from the presence of the Lord is part of the punishment, the eternal destruction that those who do not obey the gospel will endure. But on, in this situation, we will see His face. We'll be in His presence and we'll see His face. There's a part of us that lives on. It's going to live on eternally. It's going to either live on in a place where the fire is not quenched, or it's going to live on in a place that's eternally wonderful, a place of joy, a place of bliss. We're going to be in one of those two places. So here's the question. What have you gained for yourself if you acquire the whole world and enjoy that for a period of time, maybe till, you're, till you die, but you lose your soul in hell for an eternity, well, what have you gained? <laughs> well, what, what have you profited if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Now, we make those kinds of evaluations every day, don't we? And so here I am, I'm, I'm faced with an, with a, with a, an option to do this, and we, we weigh the benefit and the cost. And we think, well, now see, uh, is the benefit worth the price that I'm going to have to pay? It may be a price in money or it might be a price in time and effort and work and all of that. But, but here's a choice. I can do this or not do it. Is the benefit worth the price? And sometimes it is, but sometimes we look back and say, boy, you know, I, may, I made a bad decision. I regret the decision that I, it's not worth it. I enjoy something for a little while, but I'm still paying the price, you know. Not, not worth it. Now, we're not likely to gain the whole world, are we? 
Uh, Jesus is speaking figuratively, isn't he? he? And he doesn't expect a single person to gain the whole world. And so, but anyway, we're not going to gain the whole world. But I tell you what, we might gain for ourselves the thing that we want. Remember we talked about that in the beginning? What we want to achieve in life, or what we want to accomplish in life. And there are people who are willing, now here's my goal, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to acquire that goal. I'm willing to pay any price. I'm willing to sacrifice my time with my friends and going out and going to parties and stuff like that. I'm willing to sacrifice all of that to acquire this goal. And so we're probably not going to gain the whole world, but we might acquire that goal that we set out to accomplish. What, what is it in your case? You think about that. Let's say that you acquire that goal, but in the process, you lose your soul. What, what have you profited? What have you profited if you were to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Jesus means that there's not one thing worth losing our souls over. Not one thing. Nor is there an accumulation of many things worth losing our souls over. And so, it would be infinitely better to deny self, take up our cross temporarily during this life, and follow Jesus and find eternal life. And once we forfeit our souls, there's, there's no getting them back in eternity, is there? Now, we, we might think, boy, what, I, what, what wouldn't I give in exchange for my soul? But it'll be too late at that time. Now, the last verse says this. Now, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His angels, with, uh, glory of His Father with His angels, and then He'll repay every man according to His deeds. The day of judgment is coming. Uh, and, and we're going to give an account, be held accountable for our actions. To point it unto man wants to die, then after that, the judgment. The Bible tells us that we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to receive a recompense, a reward for the things that we've done in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, sometimes people will say, well, you know, we're not going to be judged on, based on what we do. No, that's, the Bible says we are going to be judged on what we do. And we can be forgiven of our sins, I understand that, but, but we are going to be judged by what we do. What we do is relevant in, in judgment. There's going to be a judgment day. We're going to stand before the judgment seat and give an account of ourselves. The great and the small are going to be there. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. We're going to receive either reward or punishment according to our deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Even the secrets of man will be exposed. Romans 2 and verse 16. So the judgment is coming. And we will either receive the reward because we've been loyal and given up our lives or we're going to be punished. We're going to lose our life because we lived for self during this life. No one's going to avoid the judgment. The best we can do is prepare for it. Be prepared for judgment. Well, we began all this with the question concerning our goals, what we wanted to achieve. Well, what do you want to achieve in life? You might be a young person. It's a very exciting time. You know, you kind of, you grow up, you get to middle school, you get to high school, you've got, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And you think, you know, this is what I want to achieve in life. Well, what do you want to achieve with your life? 
Now, well, what in, in the final analysis, after all is said and done, what, what if you gained that accomplishment and lost your soul in the process? So think about what you're trying to accomplish most in life. You need to realize that if you miss heaven, you've missed it all. You've missed everything if you've missed heaven. Nothing wrong with having goals and wanting to achieve and to accomplish in life. But please, <laughs> don't make the decision that I'm going to pay whatever is necessary to achieve that, even if it means putting loyalty to Christ second. Please don't make that decision. Keep Christ first, even if it means giving up your life in the process. You'll be glad you did. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had today to come together and to study from your word, to worship you, to sing songs of praise, to encourage each other, to pray together, to, as a unified body, to remember the death of Jesus on the cross. We're thankful for that opportunity. We pray that what we've done today has been pleasing to you. Our, our Father, we, we pray that our, our thoughts today, both this morning and this evening, will make an impact on our lives. That we'll understand that, that you exist and we believe in you and trust in you and we want to please you and devote ourselves to you. We believe, Father, that if we do those things that you'll reward us. Help us, Father, to keep things in perspective, to keep this world's things in perspective. And as attractive as they may be and as pleasing as they may be to acquire, help us to see, Father, that nothing is worth the loss of our souls. And so help us, Father, always to keep that in mind and always, even if it means denying self, even if it means making sacrifices, to be faithful followers of yours so that we might gain eternal life. We're thankful for Jesus who's made all this possible. We're thankful that he came and showed us the way by his life, that he came and made atonement for our sins so that we might have eternal fellowship with you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.